electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Thank you, John. Thank you, Morgan. Live from the NASDAQ market site right here in the heart of New York City's Times Square is Fast Money. And here's what's on tap today. Hoping for a rate cut soon? Well, don't hold your breath. The Fed reiterating it plans to stay higher for longer, sending stocks sharply lower and yields to 16-plus year highs. All the market reaction is coming up on the show. Plus, striking a blow, more than 4 million days of work lost as union members from Detroit to Hollywood and beyond hit the picket lines. So how much will this cost the economy? We've got a top labor economist who's going to break it down. And then later on, going old school, shares of IBM surging to their highs of the year. Why one analyst thinks this big tech vet can teach the new generation a thing or two. I'm Dominic Chu in for Melissa Lee tonight, coming to you from the Studio B at the NASDAQ. On the desk here tonight, we've got Tim Seymour, also Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, Guy Adami as well. But we start with the warning that sent stocks tumbling today. Major indices all closing at or near their lows of the day after the Fed signaled one more rate hike before the year's end. The promise of higher for longer spooking stocks. The Nasdaq dropping more than 200 points. The tech heavy index now down 4% in September alone on pace for its worst month of the year. CNBC's Steve Leisman is at the Fed with all the headlines out of the central bank. Steve, this was a scenario where we were expecting a hold and it happened. So what exactly gave today and why did the markets react so negatively? Well, I'll tell you, I was I was warning about higher for longer the past couple of days, but this is even uh, higher than I thought. The Fed leaving rates unchanged expected as expected for the September meeting. But Signal is going to keep rates at a high level for an extended period in large measure because it sees the economy is stronger than previously forecast. The Fed kept its outlook for one more hike this year and raised the funds rate forecast for next year and in 2025 by a full half point. What it really did it was take off a half a point to cut that they originally had in their previous forecast. At the same time, the Fed doubled its growth outlook to 2.1% this year and boosted their numbers for next year as well. And all of that with less unemployment. Overall, pretty bullish on the economy. But Fed Chair Jay Powell explained more growth could mean higher rates. Rather than pointing to a sense of inflation having become more persistent, I wouldn't think that's not... We've seen inflation be more persistent over the course of the past year, but I wouldn't say that's something that's appeared in the recent data. It's more about stronger economic activity. So with an, with an unchanged inflation forecast, what it all means is the Fed's real rate will actually get somewhat tighter next year, as in more restrictive. At the same time, working against the better growth story is the auto worker strike, a potential government shutdown, higher bond yields and oil prices. Maybe not individually a big deal, but together they could amount to something. The kicker to all this, a government shutdown could mean the Fed doesn't even have the data to know what's going on in the economy. That would make policymaking even harder than it is already in an uncertain environment. Dom? On balance, Steve, is the negative side of the economic story greater than the positive side, given everything you just laid out? I think if they persist in this idea of next year of keeping rates high with lower inflation, that's a more restrictive story. And I think there is some danger here, Dom, 
that next year they snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. They're headed quite nicely to a soft landing, I think, here. But this idea, which, by the way, is the opposite of what John Williams from the New York Fed told the New York Times not too long ago, that if inflation comes down, the Fed has to pivot and lower um, the, the funds rate. Well, it's not really doing that quite so much. It's going to allow things to become more restrictive. I think that would be a mistake next year. Steve, it's Karen. So, I mean, they have said they could be data dependent, right? That would be relevant data and sort of declaring victory on inflation. I think um, that would give them some leeway to back off the or, or I guess add back the cuts that they've taken out today. It it could. What bothers me a little bit, Karen, is the forecast is for two and a half percent inflation next year. And yet they maintain that 5.1 percent funds rate. Well, do the math. Um, and, And by the way, if you look at their real neutral rate, it's a half a point. So they're talking about still being restrictive well into next year, four times the neutral rate. I I don't understand that. Now, maybe there's a game going on here, a little chicken game where the Fed doesn't really want to show its cards that ultimately they are going to cut a lot next year uh, relative to at least keeping rates, uh, uh, the, the, the real rate, not very well much change. But right now, the outlook is for a more hawkish Fed. But as, um, you know, Krishna Guha called it earlier in a piece, he said, it's bullish and hawkish to put a couple animals together into a single phrase. Bulls and hawks. Hawks They were meant to be together. Steve Leisman, thank you very much. (laughs) We'll see you later on. Uh, Tim, Glidepath. Dom, great to have you, first of all. Thank Thank you you very much. Based upon what Steve just said, glide path is what I think of. The Fed's on a glide path. Glide path. Better, Remember, we had, we had someone on the show. There was show some cat that came on the show. The he, was, he told us what his nickname was, and, and that and was probably the worst thing he ever did in his <laughs> yeah, life. You don't ever make up your own nickname. So, um, so and, what is and, it? And what we heard from Steve was what we were hearing from the Fed. It's, it's kind of, when you're just telling me about the economy, um, it's kind of like when your accountant says you're paying more taxes, so you should be happy. Um, if the economy is doing better and the Fed actually has to hang in the pocket longer and be more hawkish, so this was obviously what the message was today. Um, the, the question is, when the Fed says soft landing is not our baseline expectation, which is the point they made very clear, um, is that they don't have to see a soft landing? Uh, you know, look, we know what their mandate is, right? Their, their mandate is inflation and growth and, and essentially full employment. And so where does that leave the economy? I think that the Fed has no idea where the data is going. And I think that these comments today were very hawkish. They took 50 bips off of next year in terms of the ease that was expected. That's hawkish. But I think they have no idea. And I think the data that's coming through, uh, they upgraded the economy. They, they upgraded the labor. And again, these are relative to where they were before. Uh, and I think, frankly, we have no idea where we're going to be in three months. It seems like uh, the situation now is the economy is in a good spot. So is the Fed having an easier time or a harder one with this? Well, first, I'm going to channel my inner Sonny Corleone and say, can you believe how hawkish the Fed was on Dan Nathan's birthday? Oh. Dan Nathan's birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday. Yeah, thanks. Man. That was good. You liked yeah, it, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, you Corleone. snuck it right in. No, I mean, let's not confuse the issue. The Fed, they, they should not declare victory of any. By the way, they're trying to solve the problem that they created in the first place. And if I seem a little animated, it's because I am. I mean, they've gotten it all wrong all along. And they're probably, they probably will continue to be as hawkish as they possibly can be into early next year. The market doesn't anticipate that. Look at the late move in HYG today. Fell off a cliff as 10-year yields are now in the aftermarket 
almost 4.4%. Neither one of those are bullish for stocks. So if we're looking at it through the lens of the stock market, this is not a good thing. Higher rates are not good for stocks. Yeah, through the lens of the stock market, it's kind of interesting. Look at it year over year. You know, the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield a year ago on my birthday was 3.4%. <laughs> now it's 4.4%. You just said making 16-year highs. Look at what crude's done year over year. Look at what the dollar. Now, you know, it's a little bit higher there. It's been obviously pretty volatile. I mean, the one thing to me that is interesting that sticks out like a sore thumb is the S&P 500 where it is. A year ago today, the S&P was at, you know, 3,800 or so. And you think about that, and, and, and I see this scenario for a soft landing, but when you think about the lag effect of all of this policy, right, that they've done over the last 18 months, I say, say to myself, something has to give. We have a 15 VIX now. A year ago, we had a 25 VIX. I just feel like we've just been very complacent here. And I think about some of the moves that we've had in some of the biggest stocks in the stock market. Apple today was down 2%. Microsoft down 2.5%. Both of them are down 11% from the all-time highs made in July. You know, the semiconductor index on a relative basis has not made new highs. The QQQ, the NASDAQ 100, appears to be rolling over a little bit. And I'm not even done. We, do, we can go beyond tech. We can look at the transports are not trading particularly well. Um, industrials are not trading particularly well. I think we have a situation where the S&P and the NASDAQ, I think, as a monolith, are kind of masking a lot of bad performance under the hood in the stock market. What's curious, Karen, two years ago on this day, your birthday two years ago, 30-year yeah. fixed-rate mortgages were Free? a hair over 3%, Free like 3.02% or something like that. Today, they're pushing 7.3%, more than double. The housing market has remained resilient. The stock market has remained resilient. For now. I mean, for now, fair for enough. Now. Everything's well, a cycle. But, for, but, but even the stock market's remained resilient, given 500 basis points worth of interest rate tightening. What exactly derails this if those things didn't? Well, something's got to give. I think, though, to the housing thing, because it's the market's rigged. There's no, you know, anybody with a mortgage isn't selling. So you have this sort of unusual situation of not as many houses for sale. I do think, though, the thing that's got to give is the market. To Guy's point, rates are higher which should mean equities lower. I mean, it's just math, equity risk premium. And so I feel that I want to be hedged in the more high flyer names that I have. So things like the IGV or short the Qs, things like that. But um, I'm always long, though. I'm going to net long for sure. So I think it's going to be painful. It's going to be painful for sure. So that brings up this discussion about more on the stock market overall. For that, we're going to bring in Stuart Kaiser, who's made his way to the desk over here. He's city's head of equity trading strategy, You've heard the banter so far. It's got to be akin maybe to what your discussions are like on the trading desk right now about just the push and pull in the market, is it not? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit it right there. It's a push and pull. It's the, the, the positives from lower inflation and a positive G, GDP revision get offset by 50 basis points less of hikes. And I, I think tactically speaking, the, the rates are, are what drove the market lower today. But I think if you're an equity investor, you're looking a couple weeks or months out. Then, then that positive growth outlook has to be, you know, what you're more focused on. And you have to take the view that if equity, if equities are strong, but growth starts to weaken, that the Fed ultimately is going to is going to not be as, as stern as they've been recently. It, you know, we've had a lot of clients tell us, you know, it's easy for the Fed to talk hawkish when the job market looks like this. <laughs> you know, show a little weakness to the job market and let's see if they change their vocabulary a bit. Is there any expectation that you could see weakness in the job market? There's been talk about it for maybe a year at this point. 
Look, I mean, you had the JOLTS report a few weeks ago. That showed some loosening, uh, but that was quickly followed up by what I would call a pretty strong non-farm, non-farm payrolls report. So, no, there's no, there's no clue of it yet. Um, you know, some folks would say, well, the strikes, and then you get Amazon telling you they're going to hire 250,000 new employees. Quarter million so, people, yeah. yeah, so, yeah, we're not, we're not seeing any weakness in the labor market. I think if you are seeing any cracks on the labor slash consumer side, it would be more on the credit card spending side. You know, our credit card data does show lower spending. A lot of the retailers talked about hard delinquencies. So is that a canary in the coal mine? We'll see. But that's certainly something folks are, are focused on. So, Stuart, you talked to, obviously, a lot of very smart investors who are moving uh, very large pools of capital around the market. What, what do you make of just the level, I think, of complacency? I, you just heard me say, I think under the hood, there's some things, there's some cracks that are starting to happen here a little bit. But I was like, the one thing when I was listening to this presser today, I was looking at some of these um, high growth tech stocks sell off really hard. I went to the options market. I looked at the QQQ and I looked at the next Friday, the 29th, okay, seven trading days from now, and they cost me 1% of the ETF price. That seems really cheap, especially when you have all. So talk to me about like the level of complacency and what the market is pricing, because I bought those. I'm like, you know what? I'll sit on those for a week and see how I do. Look, I think year to date, you've been rewarded for sort of just embracing the good news, right? You know, why are yields and equities higher the last year? Because economic growth data has massively surprised consensus expectations over that window. I think what you've seen the last two to four weeks is that started to shift a little bit, right? You know, the growth isn't beating by as much. Yields are rising for less good reasons, and you're starting to get some pressure. But look, anybody who's faded tech this year has ultimately regretted it, and I think that's why you see a lot of upside still priced into that space. And the last thing I would say is scarcity. Frank, there's a scarcity of large cap growth stocks and also a scarcity of positive consensus revisions. So if you can find stocks that have that, you know, people are kind of reluctant to walk away from them. So, Stuart, let me ask you something about uh, labor. So this is we never expected to have an unemployment level of this this low and sustained. Does that take away some of the room that the Fed has? What's considered an acceptable reversal in labor markets before they need to sort of turn I mean, it's a great question, because if you took the message at Jackson Hole, I think Chair Powell was reminding folks that, hey, we're willing to pay a growth price to make sure inflation comes in. Right. Today, though, they revised up the growth, (laughs) the growth number. So, look, acceptable. I think, you know, the Fed has has messaged pretty consistently that, you know, if if we create some job losses and that's the cost of inflation lower, then then they're going to do that. Um, Whether they follow through on it when the data appears, I think, is is the ultimate question. Right. On our view. A, uh, a soft landing, and in this case, I mean a non-recessionary growth slowdown, would, would mean you know, your unemployment rate stays below 4.5%. If you get a recession, it's sort of above 45 So I think that's kind of a Mason-Dixon line for us. And Stuart, before we let you go, what do you think? What's your favorite spot to be in, given that backdrop? Yeah, look, I, you know, gun to our head, we're, we're still you know, positive on equities. Um, I still think there's, there's a window here where once the markets digest the move higher in rates, they're going to reorient themselves to, to the positive growth stuff. Um, I mentioned scarcity in tech. It's an area that we still like. I would say the caveat here, though, as mentioned earlier, is, is higher rates you know, eat on tech a lot more than they eat on other spots. And you might argue that the higher rates with the positive growth impulse you know, might warm you up to cyclicals a little bit. It's been very narrow leadership. So if we get a broadening in leadership, I think quite positive. All right, Stuart Kaiser at City, thank you very much. Great to get your thoughts here. I wonder, folks, if we talk about this overall, there's got to be a feeling that there's a good spot to be in if it's not technology, if it's not energy, which has been an outperformer over the last several months. 
Is there a consensus cash? among you guys? Is it cash? <laughs> Short under the curve? Cash? Cash? Well, 5% in the bank? Uh, but uh, there are reasons why energy is going to be resilient, and I think there are, there's a, a valuation justification there. I, I think uh, I would be a little bit more concerned around some of the industrials, which always look relatively cheap. I think tech's going to be defensive. Uh, again, you can't tell me, both based upon history and, and where uh, the balance sheets are and the ability to buy back stock and manufacture earnings for the top five or six tech companies in the world, and they will be where people run for defensive. I think in the short run, look, the S&P is getting very close to that 100-day. There's no reason why we shouldn't have a little test there. Higher rates here for a little bit. But, you know, 4150 would be a great level if you could make a call here. And I'm not making a call. I'm saying tactically, though, I think markets can trade back a little bit because we haven't had anything more than a 5% move in the S&P before then you get into the dynamics are the Fed put is in the market. And until the Fed proves us wrong, we won't know that till next year. I think equities are going to trade as if the Fed has to jump in. Whatever he said today is something that could be very different in three months. So I think you're buying the market as you get into, you know, late October into those those year end months. And then you just take the market you have in front of you. I mean, the, 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 the whole dynamic with the market over the last year, and we did, a, I think it was right to bring up where we were a year ago and where we were two years ago, is time has been the biggest dynamic here. This is all taking a lot longer to play out. It's been a lot longer for the Fed. It's been a lot longer for the labor market. But there are certain things that I think are guaranteed when it comes to a market that right now trades in a multiple it doesn't deserve. Karen, wasn't your final trade yesterday? Yes. Yeah, one Short year. Short duration treasuries. You watched our show yesterday. I, you know, okay. I, I make it a point to try to <laughs> at least pay attention. Yes, <laughs> yeah, the risk reward seems compelling. But, um, I mean, I, I think that to Tim's point, uh, this, well, I don't know. I, I guess I should say I'm staying long, even though I am afraid. I do think that the next direction is down. Just rates, I think we're going to have trouble selling this, this many bonds. So, yeah, supply, an issue coming up. All right. Uh, next on the show here, we've got some earnings action. Shares of KB Home, also FedEx on the move after reporting their <coughs> excuse me, latest results. We've got all the details coming up next. Plus, IPOs in retrograde. Arm and Instacart nearly giving back all of their first day gains. Will other new offerings follow suit? We'll debate that when Fast Money returns after this break. Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.
Welcome back to Fast Money and earnings alert right now on FedEx and KB Home. Those stocks moving in opposite directions, as you can see. FedEx shares rising after giving a strong outlook for the year, up five and a half percent. Our Frank Holland has the details. Hi, Frank. Well, hey there, Dom. You know, investors are clearly buying the cost-cutting and transformation plans that FedEx is currently in the middle of. The company added it eliminated $1.8 billion in costs permanently while still beating on EPS and, as you mentioned, raising the low end of EPS guidance. Looking deeper into the numbers, Express missed revenue and margin estimates while ground beat on both. Margin for ground, uh, that's the e-commerce-focused division of FedEx at 13.3%. We saw some margin expansion here, and that's compared to a sub-10% estimate. And again, expansion, 8.5% just a year ago. So FedEx also gained some premium business during the UPS Teamsters negotiations, and that appeared to help these results. Really, the only surprise in this report was freight missing on revenue estimates. It was believed that FedEx benefited from the bankruptcy of Yellow, another trucking company in the same space. So in the report, Raj Subramanian, CEO, spoke about the plans to turn FedEx into one company as opposed to three divisions and also that cost cutting, saying in part, first quarter results improved primarily due to the execution of the company's drive program initiatives and continued focus on revenue quality partially offset by ongoing demand weakness. That weakness appears to be centered on the express air delivery business where average revenue per package fell by 8%, while ground revenue increased by 3% and freight by 2%, the call starts at 5.30 Eastern, expecting commentary on the holiday quarter and the macro environment that gave FedEx the confidence to raise its full-year EPS guidance. Back over to you. All right. Thank you very much, Frank Holland. Let's trade FedEx. Gee, what do you think? So, look, if you, if you had to make a choice between a huge beat on EPS or revenue, I'll take it on the EPS side. And Karen was talking about this before the show. I mean, they're operating better. And you see it in operating margins for them to come in at 7.3%, Street was expecting 6 That's actually significant. So good for them. It makes the stock actually look cheaper now, given the beat, than it was prior to earnings. And it should actually be able to build on this. FedEx has been, listen, they've been their own worst enemy for the last three or four years. But this indicates, to me at least, maybe they're finally getting their act together. Yeah, I think they're finally getting their act together. And, I mean... They had a lot of margin to gain to get closer to UPS, and I'm long UPS now. I think that there was uh, a little bit of that either switching or people uh, who want to hedge their bets. If UPS goes on strike, they got to be able to ship packages, so they lost a little business there. Um, I, I like UPS. I don't love them saying ongoing uh, weakness, although it was air freight, um, but they're sort of right in the center of e-commerce and I'd rather see I'd rather see a little better revenue also. All right. UPS getting a bit of a bump there as well on the back of FedEx. Moving on now to KB Home. Those shares are lower despite the company posting a beat on both the top and the bottom lines. Let's get out to Steve Kovac back in Englewood Cliffs for more details on KB Home's quarter. Steve. Hey there, Dom. Yeah, those beats on the top and bottom lines for KB Home third quarter. EPS was a beat at $1.80 versus $1.43 expected revenues beat as well, $1.59 billion versus the $1.48 billion expected. But look, shares are down due to a sales decline on the top line compared to last year. Company citing tough comparisons this strong quarter a year ago, but CEO saying in the release 2023 will be more profitable than the company originally guided towards. Revenue was $1.59 billion, like I said, down from more than $1.8 billion in that year-ago quarter. KB Home also saying net orders increased 52% to 3,097, crediting, crediting improving demand and lower cancellation rates compared to last year at, because buyers were canceling due to the rising interest rates back in 2022. Call just getting started, Dom, and we'll be back with any updates that are moving the stock.
All right, Steve Kovac with the latest there on KB. Thank you very much. Uh, let's trade it. Karen, you're up mm-hmm. for a KB home. Good or bad, or is the housing market and home builders priced for perfection? I don't think it's priced for perfection. I do think, though, sentiment could change, right? I do think they're, I mean, they've been able to execute. They've been able to also, I think, uh, the price might come down, but we've seen margins hang in there, so the cost may be going down. But I think sentiment can change. If we see rates higher, I just think the sentiment will change regardless of how the underlying earnings go. What do you think? Well, I, I think you know, the stock's up 50 percent this year. Uh, I think the housing data that came in earlier in the week doesn't necessarily hit KB. And I'm talking about the NAHB index. I'm talking about multifamily starts uh, that were down 11 percent. And over the last couple months, is close to 20 percent. I, I think there's just a reality to the housing market in terms of interest rates and where some of these uh, some of these deals in terms of apartment houses and a lot of the stuff that's been supporting the broader market. Uh, I, I, I think that whole thesis is is under some some uh, uh, some heavy headwinds. I think housing stocks have had their best run of 23, and I think they're, they're, they're going lower, um, not because the valuations are terrible, and it's certainly not because their balance sheets are weak. KB. You know, it's, it's interesting, you know, Dom, a lot of folks have kind of poo-pooed this, um, the, the uh, student loan repayment that, that's starting up next month and everything. Think about all these housing dynamics. Think about a lot of the things that have changed, you know what I mean, this work-from-home environment and, and all this sort of stuff that's happened on a very low-rate environment until now, right? And now when a lot of these folks who were, like, leaving the cities, moving to, uh, you know, buying homes with cheap mortgages, and now they have to start paying back student loans. So I think this higher-for-longer thing I think really does have the potential to go the other way. Tim has been saying this about the housing stocks. And again, they just pulled forward a lot of excitement about the supply-demand dynamics. But in this rate environment, and given what could be changing about the health of the consumer, I just don't see how these stocks make any sense where they are right here. All right. For those listeners on Sirius XM, Channel 112, FedEx is up 4%. KB down 2% right now. There's a lot more to come on Fast Money here. Here is what's coming up next. What goes up may come right back down. The IPO market is getting busy, but day one pops are proving hard to hold on to. The big 360 in recent debuts, and will other new listings follow suit? Plus, the auto strike continues, the latest developments in contract negotiations, and what all the work stoppages mean for the economy. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. Welcome back to Fast Money, the latest IPO having another solid debut. Clavio is jumping 9% in its first day of trading, but shares had been up more than 30% at their peak today. That trajectory is similar to what we've seen from other IPOs in the past week. Both Arm Holdings and Instacart are close to their offering prices. Instacart even briefly fell below that level during today's session. Dan, 
What's up? I think it's interesting that Stuart mentioned just the demand or the scarcity of mega cap tech stocks. And again, clearly it doesn't fall into that category. Instagram or Instacart, excuse me, at $10 billion is not that massive. Obviously, Arm was bigger. But the fact that they've given back all of those pops, even at at valuations that were less than their last funding in the private markets, it tells me that, you know, investors like the things that they have consistency with. I think it goes back to what Tim was also saying about the defensive nature of some of these mega cap tech stocks. So to me, I would expect Instacart to break price. I would expect Arm to break price. I would expect this one to break price. And it does give you a little bit of a sense of where investors are on the risk curve of the things that you don't know how it acts in the sort of environment that we had in 2022. So to me, um, I'm not, I don't think it's a great uh, start for the IPO market being re-kicked right uh, into gear here. So Arm's going to do, we talked about this last couple nights, basically $3 billion over the last couple of years, 2.7, 2.7-ish. That should be trading, in my opinion, no more than a 15.15 multiple of sales. So you got a $45 stock. At the levels that traded up after the IPO, that was just absurdity. I mean, you have to get some valuations do matter at a certain point. And even at 15 times, the stock is expensive. Rick Heitzman said this on our show last week. I, I, I don't think that the, the funding markets and certainly the private markets are wide open. You know, so let's be clear. I mean, Arm was kind of a layup based upon this company. It's coming back to market. It was it, it, it was the perfect uh, it was the perfect IPO. And the group behind it certainly knows what they're doing. The group here at the Nasdaq certainly knows what they're doing. Um, this wasn't a big question. Um, but I think there's a lot of still questions. And I think we still don't know where rates are. We still don't know where credit is. So, I, And I think investors are just as discerning on buying companies that are profitable and not high multiple stocks. So I think that the companies that are doing deals are, are, or at least raising some money, I think are more in the space where they're showing free cash flow. And they may be more utility-like. We're seeing some of the stuff in the energy space. And, and I would say consolidation and M&A is also what's kind of interesting now. That's going through in places where companies have balance sheets. Karen, are capital mm-hmm. markets due for a turn up next year? Well, this doesn't help this. I mean, it did three days ago. It looked much better than it does now, particularly tomorrow. Wouldn't be surprising to see a two out of the three maybe down. So um, I do think that we've got a lot of refinancings to do, and that's, that can be good, and that also can spur M&A. That's possible. But I think in the very short, this isn't great for banks. They were hoping for a big IPO market. Yeah, let me just say one other thing. If you're a tech company, you've been waiting to go to the public markets. This is it, man. The Nasdaq's up 30% of the year. You know, the S&P's up 18%. And if you can't get deals done in this environment at the sort of valuations they're coming at, um, then I think we probably do have a, a pretty tough time in this rate environment. Because remember, all these companies saw these crazy valuations. I mean, Instacart's valuation was skipping up $10 billion at a time on its way up to 4 40, and now it's got round, a 10 yeah. billion. This is two years later. Yeah. All right. Coming up to the show, new developments in the UAW contract negotiations. What one big automaker is offering and how much are the stoppages costing the broader economy? That's next. Plus a picture perfect trade analysts showing some interest in Pinterest after the company's investor day. We'll go inside those numbers ahead. Fast Money is back in two. Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money Podcast. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks closing in the red after the Federal Reserve signaled there may be another rate hike on the horizon, even if it left rates unchanged for now. The Dow down more than 70 points. The S&P dropping nearly 1%. And the Nasdaq composite leading the losses, falling 
more than 1.5% to near session lows. Shares of Block down another 4% today. The company announcing the head of the company's Square Payments Unit is stepping down. Chief Exec Jack Dorsey will step in as a replacement in the time being. Block is down six days in a row and nearly 25% of its value so far this year to the downside. Dan, what's up with Block? Yeah, this is really interesting. I mean, this stock's down, it's been cut in half this year from its highs. It's down 85% or so from its all-time highs in 2021. And you see the stock today closing at a new 52-week low. And you say to yourself, this is not a particularly expensive stock expected to be profitable on a gap basis, trading about 21 times, you know, next year's adjusted and trading a little over one-time sales. And you say, well, what's going on here? We have, again, I go back to the the NASDAQ being up 30% and the NASDAQ 100 being up 40%. I think we know where a lot of this heavy lifting is. I just think it's important to look under the hood because this is a perfectly fine company that trades at a fairly reasonable valuation. And I, you know, we had Kathy Wood on the other night. This is one of her big holdings in that ARK Innovation ETF. So it's supposedly really innovative if you listen to her. Um, and it trades like death. All right. In the meantime, we've got also more news coming out of the UAW strikes. GM's plant in Kansas City. Kansas is going idle today impacting 2,000-some workers. Earlier strikes at a different plant in Missouri delayed the delivery of critical parts used in production. This adding to the tension between unions and their industries. In August alone, more than 4 million days of work. 4 million were lost due to work stoppages, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. That's the highest in more than 20 years. For the economic impact, let's bring in Michael Strain, the director of economic policy studies at the American Enterprise Institute. Michael Four million. That's a lot of work days lost. What does it mean for the broader economy? It's a lot of work days, and it's a consequence of the fact that employers have a voracious demand for workers. Labor demand is off the charts, and there just aren't enough workers to satisfy that demand. And so workers are in the driver's seat to a larger extent than they have been in decades. They're demanding more from their employers. They're demanding higher pay. They're demanding uh, more workplace amenities. They're demanding more control over the structure of their jobs. And as, as labor demand starts to cool off, those dynamics are going to reset a little bit. And, and we're seeing, uh, uh, we're seeing uh, that kind of volatility in the relationship between workers and employers. Michael, I want more pay and less work hours in a day and better benefits as well. Do I have the leverage right now? What is it about these industrial companies, specifically autos, that makes you feel as though they may or may not get what they want from GM, Stellantis, and Ford? Yeah, so I I think we're seeing this throughout the labor market. The, the, The statistic that I would focus on is average wage growth, wage growth for the average worker. Before the pandemic, in the kind of great economy of 2018 and 2019, wages were growing at around a 3% pace. After the pandemic, when employers needed workers and there just weren't, weren't the workers there, wage growth went up to about 5%. Now we're kind of back into 4%. So the labor market is cooling off, but it's still much hotter. And workers are still in the driver's seat much more than they even were in 2018 or 2019. This is emboldening the labor movement. This is, this is emboldening labor organizers and labor unions. And what you're seeing in this specific instance is the UAW asking for some, some, pretty, unreasonable, uh, some pretty unreasonable demands. A 40% increase in pay, 20% shorter work week return to some you know old economy types of 
uh, workplace um, uh, amenities. I, I don't know that the auto companies could give them what they want without going bankrupt. Well, M- Michael, so l- let's talk about then the Walmarts of the world. I, I kind of feel like you know, when I think about minimum wage and I think about restaurant jobs and I think about what Walmart, I mean, Walmart, first of all, is the ultimate strike buster. I mean, they, in other words, they, they can dictate price. And when they were pushing up uh, wages for, for their workers, it was a great thing for our country when you think about the, the middle class needing to make a working wage. But, but isn't that a lot more important in terms of the inflationary forces in the labor market? Because uh, that's where you've seen the biggest surge and, frankly, maybe where we deserved it, um, as opposed to the unions. Yeah, I mean, look, if, if everybody in the economy got a 40 percent raise, which is what the UAW wants for their workers, that would be, that would be hugely inflationary. If you, if you look at the services sector of the economy that you're describing, there you're seeing even faster wage growth. The wage growth that we've seen since the pandemic has disproportionately accrued to those uh, lower wage workers. And so the low wage services sector has seen has seen faster wage growth uh, than the average, even though the average has uh, uh, seen you know much faster wage growth than than prior to the pandemic. And that's the that's the segment of the economy. I think that the Fed is most concerned about. We've seen goods, the price of goods, inflation uh, uh, for for in the goods market totally under control, even deflationary in some months. Uh, inflation in kind of the higher wage services sector of the economy uh, is you know, relatively under control uh, in the labor market. It's that low wage services sector where wages are still, are still really hot and where the relationship between wage inflation and price inflation is the strongest that the Fed is focusing on, I think, appropriately. All right, Michael Strain with the economic impact of those labor shortages. Thank you very much. Uh, let's trade this, guys. What do we think? Is it autos? Is it is it Walmart? Is it Amazon? I mean, let's talk about the well, Walmart's labor issue. recently made an all-time high, and Walmart wins in this environment, I think. I don't think it's coincidence that Walmart's making an all-time high while Dollar Gen, Dollar Tree, Target, to a certain extent, are making multi-year lows, number one. In terms of workers... They're getting, they're getting screwed by inflation. I mean, they want to get paid more. Why? Because they can't afford to live where they're living. They can't afford to put basically food on their tables. Inflation is hurting people. They'll watch this show and say, what are you talking about, 3%? It's probably closer to 10 And by the way, they happen to be right. So it's inflation that the Fed was begging for for years, the reason why all these people are, are, are basically picketing right now. All right, guys, coming up on the show, we've got a pattern developing in Pinterest. The stock's move caught one of our traders' eyes. What they're seeing and whether you should pin this Hmm. to your portfolio. Get what I did there. Plus, a big boost for Big Blue. Why one analyst is seeing more upside for this old and seemingly stodgy tech name. Stick around for those details and more when Fast Money returns after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Pinterest shares extending their win streak to a second day. Wall Street liking some comments from company executives who are forecasting a pickup in growth there. CNBC's own Julia Borston has more details on why people are pinning Pinterest. Julia. They are pinning Pinterest indeed, Dom. Pinterest shares gaining 3% today after adding 3% yesterday. That's when the company hosted its first ever investor day. And CEO Bill Reddy forecast mid to high teen percentage revenue growth over the next three to five years. He also forecast expanding margins. All of that news prompting two upgrades and price target hikes. Citi saying, quote, it's confident that engagement can continue to ramp, that ads innovation and its full funnel approach to advertising can deliver improving 
monetization trends. And DA Davidson saying that its upgrade is based on their, quote, confidence in management's ability to achieve those financial targets by, one, increasing engagement on the platform, two, improving monetization around the world, and also, three, sustaining financial discipline. So what's driving a lot of this potential for Pinterest are new ad tools that are directly tied to e-commerce, which, of course, helps brands more directly drive sales. Dom? All right. Julia Borson with the State of Play on Pinterest. Thank you very much. Let's trade it, folks. Who likes it? Who doesn't? I have a Pinterest page. You might know that. If our crack staff... Do you do recipes on there? Or what do you do? do He's got that, you got that, that puppet, that sock puppet, I got right? sock puppets. Yeah. That was dog one from Pets.com. Pay attention. Yeah, yeah. got a nice picture of Karen there. Karen Feynman's picture. Oh, there is Karen right there. You were in the same outfit. No, that's different, guys. Look, Tim. Look at Tim. There's some Hawaiian tropic on there. Oh, yeah. I definitely... I'm waving in that tropic. So I'm going to bring this back to the stock market. So remember in 2021 when PayPal had a greater market cap than Bank like of every, every bank in America. Yeah, bank yeah. America. And you remember there was that trouble and floated that they might buy Pinterest and we all, yeah. we all thought that was silly and the market thought was silly. And Stocks never also. recovered. Mm-hmm. This stock with a $16 billion enterprise value with, uh, with sales expected to go from high single digits to like, you know, high teens or something like that with improving margins. Walmart should buy these guys tomorrow. Did you see what happened with uh, Amazon and their operating margins that they had in the retail space? And you look at their surging advertising business that they have and everything like that. Walmart is at an all-time high, as Guy just told us. Okay, they should be buying this company. This, they, I mean, in my opinion, because think about this. If you are the ultimate, you know what I mean? Uh, and they have made acquisitions. They bought, uh, what was that one? They bought uh, Jet, Jet.com Jet, or something yep. like that. Or, Moose I don't know. Jaw, Bonobos. Yeah, no, talk yeah. about all the Moose names Jaw, that are on But we might see some uh, strategic M&A come back is all I'm saying. I, I, look, this, this company is a very different investment than a lot of companies that seemingly were investor stocks from the go-go days of 20 and 21. This is a company that makes money. This is a company that actually is not expensive on valuation. Dan's point is, I think, well taken, uh, at least by me. I, I just think they had an investor day. They're talking about innovation. They're talking about new products. Nobody says negative things at their investor day. So I think you just got to take it easy here. I mean, the stock's been, the chart actually has been working its way well off of those lows for the last almost year and a half. I just every time a Pinterest buy recommendation comes up, I always think Meta is so much better. They're trying to get to where Meta's margins are significantly bigger, and yet Meta trades at a much cheaper multiple. You're an activist investor. I mean, I, this stock hasn't since Elliott announced that stake a oh. year and a half or so ago, ish. I think you remember this stuff better than I do, but stock has really hasn't had a downtick. I mean, it just continues to grind higher. Valuation's okay. If Dan puts his little merger and acquisition banker hat on, maybe you get a chop okay. of that deal when that's a big deal for you. <laughs> Call me, people. All Let's I would get say is all of these companies, Instagram, Snap, Pinterest, they all have a slice of a demo, right? And Walmart's demo might actually be closer to Pinterest these days. All right, so call Dom. There you go. Anyway, Walmart <laughs> explains why guys there. Coming up on the show, guys. Big Blue is seeing some green out there. Find out why shares of IBM are topping the tape in today's trade. We've got those details coming up on Fast Money. And here's a, a sneak peek, by the way, at the Kramer cam, because Jim is chatting exclusively with the CEO of Wingstop, who's hungry now. Catch that full interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money for Fast Money. He's back in two minutes. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of IBM are topping the tape after RBC Capital initiated the stock with an outperform rating and slapped a $188 target price on it. It's more than 25% upside from current levels implied. Analysts saying the company's software business is misunderstood and undervalued. 
IBM still the broader market this year, still underperforming, but it says it is at the highest price of 2023, says the chart. Gee, big blue. Does it have better days ahead? It does. And we've been talking about the old tech world for a while. What do, what do they call when you put letters together to make a acronym? Word? Acronym, they call that. Yeah. Well, it's funny because. No, hold words. on a second. <laughs> yeah, no, because letters Sandy Cannell put so letters what is, together. What is, what is, and at CNBC, you get these words. long titles like senior executive, badass producer. Yeah. Well, look That's at his acronym because is, right? the I in his acronym is IBM. We'll put it up on the screen. Oh, yeah. oh, there's the Swifty. Nice. IBM, I got to tell you, I like it. Finally, Red Hat's starting to pay dividends for them. The valuation, at least you can wrap your head around it as opposed to some of these other tech names where you can't. And there's a reason why old tech has been doing well over the last couple of weeks. It's about valuation. And is it about valuation anywhere else in big tech, guys? Anything else you like? Cisco. Listen, well, yeah, Cisco. Look, Cisco is, is, is the best priced mega cap tech stock who I think is in an area in software and in security that they actually have pricing power and they have margins. So. This is a bizarro like, show. Yeah. Dell just broke out to like all time highs. Right. I mean, like, literally, like we could be doing this era. in like 2000 or something like that. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Meantime. Semisonic. <laughs> I know. Shares of Intel. Semisonic. There's yeah, one. Um, should uh, do yeah, closing Shares time. of Intel are getting crunched here. The chipmaker shares <laughs> down more than 10% over the past week, but Options traders are betting there could be a turnaround for Intel. Kelly Intelligence CEO Kevin Kelly joins us with the action, the options action. Kevin. Hi, Dom. Yeah, today we actually saw 1.3 times the amount of calls versus puts in Intel. And this is a stock that has a an implied volatility of about 34. And today we saw the most active contracts actually took us all the way out to December and they went to the 38 strike calls, which is almost about 10% higher here. And we saw over 18,000 contracts trade in that strike. So it closed today around 123. So there could be a Santa Claus rally uh, for the option betters in Intel. So I'm long and tell. I, I don't think that there was anything delivered in the last 48 hours that really changes the investment thesis here. Um, it's nice that they are bringing something forth in AI. They're clearly uh, you're not buying the stock for AI. You're buying it on a turnaround that I think valuation makes sense. They have some support. Some of these products that they announced are, are interesting. I think the data center erosion is something that at least they put the they put the floor underneath. It's interesting, though, that it was kind of like a dash for trash. I think that narrative kind of worked its way into Intel. Intel is like misexecuted on almost every major technology technological shift over the last five years. And so it's easy to buy a stock like this cheap. But look at AMD. You know, AMD was trading about 130 um, in June. And here we are now. We're just above $100 or so. And that had a little bit of that NVIDIA pixie dust, you know, in May into June. So I just think a lot of those names, it's going to like when the rubber hits the road, if they don't have the actual product and they don't have an advance in the technology, you know, to me, I, I think the investors will stiffen out. And that's what they did in Intel. All right, Kevin, by the way, thank you very much for those trades there. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show on Fridays, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time right here on CNBC. Coming up next, it's your final trades. Keep it right here. All right, time for final trades. Let's go around the horn. Tim first. It's been a while since we, a week or two since we've talked about the negotiations with the drug companies. I think some of that overdone in the short run. Merck. All right. Karen. Yes. Thanks for being here, Dom. Happy birthday, Dan. One year treasuries. All right, Dan. Yeah, QQQ. I'm long. Short dated puts at the money. I think we go lower. All right. And Gee. Karen Carpenter, top five vocalists of all time. Tim. Uh, What about drummers? As that as well. GDX. You missed the conversation in the commercial break, guys. That does it for us here on Fast Money. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. 
All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions.